You know, today being Pentecost and our focus in this last sermon, in this sermon series, Become the Gospel, uh, being on witness, it all ties together. Because Pentecost Sunday is all about the witness. You know, today we're going to talk about what it means to become the gospel. And that related to our witness. How we testify to the faith that we know in our hearts. You know, we think of wind and fire when we think of the Pentecost story, don't we? Or another way to say, we we think of presence and power. That's what the wind and fire um, illustrates. But today, I wonder if those early disciples weren't thinking of the teachings of Jesus too. The teaching in the Sermon on the Mount that Kay just read to us. The teaching that was all about salt and light. So whether... Uh, wind and fire, presence and power, salt and light. It's all about how we as Christians become the gospel as witnesses. Now, I want to read the passage that Kay just read in a little different translation, the one from the message, because I want to accentuate what Matthew 5 is all about. Beginning with the 13th verse, Peterson said, in the message, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors in the earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? I love that. You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not secret to to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? (laughs) I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on, on a light stand, shine! Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. It it underscores the beauty of this text to be salt and light. You know, I love baseball, and one of the things that I'm missing right now is going to the ballpark, especially the new ballpark that we have here in um, the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Arlington, and I miss it right now. But it's caused me to think about uh, how important baseball has been to me all of my life. I remember being a bat boy um, uh, before Little League. Uh, in Chandler, Texas, back in my hometown, we were the Chandler Tigers, and I couldn't wait to don the red and white of the Chandler Tigers. And as a child, I couldn't wait uh, to play baseball, not only in Little League, but I also wondered what it would be like to play baseball with the high school boys. We kids in Chandler, we didn't have a high school. We were bused to the nearby town of Brownsboro, which was seven miles away, and Brownsboro colors were uh, the blue and gold and their mascot, the Bears. I played high school baseball 
In our senior year, we had a really good baseball team. In fact, we won 20 games in a row. We had a 20-game winning streak after losing the first game of the year. And then we went all the way to uh, the, the playoffs where we got beat. So our season was a 20-3 and three season. It was a great team, and I have many fond memories of our time together. You know, one thing I want to share with you today, it's kind of a humorous story, but it goes back to baseball practice and that uh, team my senior year. Uh, One of the things that I think made a difference in our team was that we got a, a batting machine that I'll tell you more about. But before I do, I need to tell you that behind the the backstop on our baseball field that I must say was a little bit rusty, um, there was an old domino hall. We were a block off the highway and the domino hall was right adjacent to the baseball field. And and the domino hall had seen its better day. It was really a shack and it it, it had a a tin metal roof. And, and the older men in the community would go there and they'd play dominoes in the afternoon. And then they'd play another game called 42 that you played with dominoes. And they would, they would shake those rocks, as they called it, the bones, the shuffle the ivory, and they'd play dominoes in the afternoon. Well, back to the batting machine that made the difference in our ball team. Uh, this batting machine would, would, uh, would, would throw a ball with two tires that were rotating in opposite positions. One was going counterclockwise and the other clockwise. And as they would spin around, they would let go of the ball and it would go straight at the plate. I remember the very first day we got that early in the season. We were practicing with the um, the machine and I was the catcher. So I had to catch the balls. And, and so I got back there and I set up and uh, we played with it until we got it to 65 to 70 miles an hour. And it was throwing a pretty fast strike. And I was getting pretty used to catching the pitch at that speed. And then somebody, I don't know who it was suggested that we turn the speed up and see how fast that machine would throw. It would go all the way to 100 miles an hour. So 100 miles an hour it was. We had a batter get in the batter's box and he was a little shaky need. And I bent down as the catcher ready to catch that 100 mile an hour fastball that I'd never caught before. And I was a little shaky need. And all of a sudden the ball was put into the machine and it threw the ball, but it didn't throw it at the same level that it was at 65 miles an hour. It threw it through the backstop. It went right straight through the backstop and it hit the domino hall. It hit it with with such power that I thought the domino hall roof was going to cave in. And all of a sudden, these older gentlemen from the community who were uh, shuffling the the bones, they, they came out into the streets wondering what on earth had hit the domino hall. You know, I think about that story when I think about Pentecost. Some people say that Pentecost is the the day that the lightning struck the church. I, I like to think of Pentecost the day when the baseball hit the domino hall and it and it drove the people into the streets. That's what it's all about. Pentecost was a time when people began to witness in the streets for their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and this is what today's sermon is about. 
It's about what it means to be the church, to become the gospel, to go out into the streets with the witness of our Savior's love. Pentecost is about the Holy Spirit dramatically crashing into the life of the church in the midst of of the disciples in, in that place that they were gathered after the crucifixion and resurrection, doing as Jesus had told them before the ascension. You go to that place and you wait for the power. That's where they were when the Holy Spirit came upon them. You know, Pentecost was that uh, festival that we call the, uh, the Festival of Weeks or, or the Feast of Weeks. It was a, a harvest festival of sorts. It was the Festival of the Fruits, and it, it came right after Passover. So pilgrims would come from all over the world to Passover, and many of them would stay for 50 more days uh, so that they'd be there for the Feast of Weeks. So there were, there were Jews from all over the, the world, that part of the world, who were there. And, and they were there celebrating their faith. And, and the good news was that when the Holy Spirit came on, the followers of Jesus in that place, and they went into the streets, and, and they proclaimed the gospel, it was understood by those who even spoke in different languages. The disciples responded to the gift of presence and power and became the gospel as they witnessed to the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. Today, Pentecost Sunday, I say that the church, and that's you and that's me, we need that Pentecostal power. We need that assurance that comes when the Holy Spirit comes on us in presence and power and wind and fire to be the salt and the light. This is a day that we remember that the church is about people in the world. And and the church is about us proclaiming the love of Christ to All the children of the world, for all the children of the world are the ones for whom Christ died and rose again. The fields were white unto harvest, the scripture says. And and the, the, the message was the message of the love of Christ that Christ brought into the world. That teaching of how perfectly to love God and how perfectly to love others was given in the example of Jesus. And Christ's love was all about the mercy that we talked about a few weeks ago and the justice that we talked about just last week. Uh, love centered that witness on God's mercy and God's justice to be witnesses as salt and light to a world in need. You know, friends, for us to be salt and light, there are a few things we need to do. And the first thing is that we need to do, as Jesus instructed the disciples to do, be on our knees. Now, now when we talk about being on our knees, we're talking about an attitude of prayer, aren't we? We're talking about a posture of prayer. We're talking about turning to God because we know that whatever we face, we cannot face apart from God. And so before we can expect to have the presence and the power 
the, the way those early disciples did and to become the gospel and witness to the love of God that we see in God's mercy and justice. We have to pray to a God who hears our prayers and through the power of God's Holy Spirit empowers us. The church must learn how to pray and how to praise together and witness together to a way of love that breaks down walls and divisions. Do you hear me? Now, I want to speak this morning from a pastor's heart in the midst of a, of, of a world that in the last several days has really been turned upside down by an, an act that many of us viewed on television that was appalling and hurtful. It saddened us. It angered us. And where is the church in the midst of such an act? The actions of this past week have called us as Christians, hopefully, to think in terms of how does one become the gospel in the midst of such division? How does one become that salt and light when it seems like the whole world is spinning apart? You know, I want to mention just a few names, and we could literally mention (coughs) dozens and dozens of names. But we here in Dallas, we we can't help but remember the name of Botham John. And in Fort Worth, Ataniah Jefferson, who was killed just a few weeks ago. Sorry, I didn't do justice to her name, but we pray that justice will be served. And then just in the last few weeks, you know this name, Amon Arbery. In, in South Georgia, who was shot to death while jogging. And then all of a sudden, our attention is turned to M- Minneapolis, and we all know the name of George Floyd right now. And, and we as the church, hopefully we're praying, hopefully we're on our knees as to what is the most appropriate response. Our focus on our knees also has reminded us of uh, uh, an event four years ago, (coughs) or shall we say events four years ago, when a football player's protest to law enforcement uh, brutality had him take a knee during uh, the, uh, the, the singing or playing of the national anthem before a football game. And I'm going to need a little bit of water. And, and, and we, we know that when we, we saw that before the football games, it started to anger people, in, in, enrage people. And that was uh, the protest that was put in place after five policemen in San Francisco shot 21 times a man named Mario Woods. And Mario Woods was one who was unharmed. You know, the football players' protest began on August the 14th, 2016, nearly four years ago. The player was booed. He was ostracized. He eventually lost his job and could never get back in the NFL. And and whether you agreed with Colin Kaepernick's actions, that's not the point. The point is that I'm trying to make this morning... 
to the church of Jesus Christ about the salt and the light that, that the point quickly became diffused to be all about the flag and patriotism. Instead of listening to the legitimate protest and, and talking together and perhaps praying together so, so that actions could be taken. Four years ago, in dozens and dozens of, of cases since, and, and these cases in these last few days have, have pushed us over the edge again. Where's the church? Now, the knee on the officers, by the officer on the neck of, of George Floyd, was something that was abhorrent to most of us in this country. And, and I dare say that most Christians, thank you, most Christians were appalled to see that, as well we should have been. All leaders that I've heard have spoken out against what happened to George Floyd. And then all of a sudden, protests that were quite legitimate have become chaotic and, and out of control. We've watched as looting takes place and fires take place and, and property is damaged. And, and, and we, we know that at the heart of this may be some extremists from, from the left wing, far left wing anarchists and the far, far right wing um, white supremacists. And, and it's always these extremes inciting violence that, that underscores those divisions. Where's the church in the midst of that? I hope they're not here here. What do we say? How do we witness it's very important. You, you know, I, I want to say that the, the words black lives matter might make some of us think that we need to say that all lives matter and all lives do matter, but let's not miss the point. Sometimes for us to respond with signs of BLM, Black Lives Matter, it incites a, a, a sign to be posted that says blue lives matter. And of course blue lives matter. This is speaking of our dedicated police women and police men all across our country. We want to honor our officers as first responders. But we need to listen we need to listen that the church cannot be silent. This is not a, a black or blue issue. Uh, this shouldn't be a, a blue or red issue. This should be an issue that the church responds to, uplifting the love of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for mercy and justice. You, you know, those protests that have gone crazy, they make me angry. And we need to listen, even as justice should be done to those who are looting and burning. What's it really all about? It's really all about the death of one, one man that represents the death of many, many others in the past few years that, that have underscored our the divisions and problems that we have in our, in our city and city governments that we need to control and take hold of. And the church must not be silent. 
the church must learn how to pray together, to praise together, to witness together a way of love that breaks down walls and divisions. And sadly enough, many do not expect the church to speak out and display this power and strength of the gospel. The church, followers of Jesus, our members here at Lover's Lane, and those of you who are tuning in this morning who are Christians in other cities and other parts of the United States or the world. Sadly, the world doesn't expect us to become the gospel and be witnesses of love and mercy and justice. And we have to pray that the presence and the power will come upon us and give us the courage that we need to stand for what we know is God's way. Will you be ones today committed to do as Jesus instructed the disciples on that Pentecost Sunday? To pray and wait on the power to be the salt and the light in the world? You know, our command tells us that we must be witnesses. Be witnesses not just to mercy and justice, but to be witnesses to the cross and resurrection of Jesus, which is what really does give the power and the presence to mercy and justice. It's all about God's love. We're called to be witnesses, not reporters. And what's the difference? A reporter and a witness differ in their relationship to the information. A reporter has no personal relationship to the facts that she or he is working with. A witness must have personal experience with the facts. The reporter knows nothing firsthand, but no witness is called to the witness stand unless she or he has personal involvement with the issue at hand. When African-American church preachers call out, do I have a witness? And, and others in the congregation respond with an amen or, or, or stand up or raise their hand. The, the, the preacher is saying, is there anyone out there who's had the experience that I'm talking about? Do I have a witness? Have you been there? Has it uh, caused you to be different? What is the difference between being committed and being devoted? The dictionary says about committed that it is an obligation, dedication, often based on duty. It is a bond or an undertaking. The dictionary says about devotion, it's enthusiastic loyalty. It's a great love. It's zeal, it's fervor, it's intensity, it's eagerness, it's passion, it's allegiance. It's an issue of the heart. We are called when we get off our knees in prayer as the church, not to just be committed witnesses, we're called to be devoted witnesses. Being a witness requires more than a commitment. It requires devotion. The commandment would not have produced a Christian movement that had 3,000 people coming to faith and being baptized 
after hearing Peter's sermon. Commitment would not have brought the Holy Spirit to fill the hearts of new believers. Commitment is good, but devotion describes the true Christian fellowship. The post-Pentecost experience were described like this in Acts 2, 41 and 42. Hear the scripture. So those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and to prayers. They became devoted witnesses. The Christian who has experienced the new birth, the one who knows the, the Savior in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the one who is touched by the Holy Spirit and filled with the Spirit of presence and, and, and power, it is called with the, uh, the wind and the fire to go into the world to be the salt and the light that Jesus instructs us to be. Finally, when we're filled with the Spirit, we have to do something. We have to move out. We go into the streets. Now, right now, I know that we're social distancing. In fact, uh, there's nobody in church today, but that day's coming. But, but whether we're gathered together person to person or whether we're watching as Christians in our living room or wherever we're watching, we need to hear that the power and the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ moves us out into the world where the people are. You know, this week I, I thought about an experience I had a few years ago when I was invited to deliver the commencement address at the Moscow Seminary, the United Methodist Church's seminary there in Russia. There were only five graduates, but all of the students were there, all of their classmates, all of their family members, many of their church members were there from all over Russia. We really had a worship service more than just a commencement. It was a time when we also heard witnesses about each one of those five gathered there as graduates. And the witnesses were powerful. And later that week, I had the privilege to go into southeast Moscow and, and worship with a pastor there named Ludmilla. It was her congregation that gathered, uh, not in a building, but more like a house church in her apartment that was, for Russian standards, was fairly large. It was large enough to pack it full of her church members. And there I gathered, not speaking Russian myself, I, I couldn't understand the words, but many of the hymns that they sang were very familiar tunes. I knew the words in English. But to see people there, United Methodists, there in Russia, in Ludmilla's apartment, being the church, I heard witnesses. And the interpreter shared with me what was being told. 
This, this particular church had taken on itself the mission to go into a nearby orphanage and to be the church, to, to be that body of love in the midst of those who were in need. And, and this church had been about this work in the orphanage for years. And, and then someone brought out a photo album, and we began to leaf through that photo album. And, and we saw these pictures, and, and then they would point to a picture, and they would say, um, that person there is a member of the church today. They were orphaned. They were in the orphanage where we served. And, and here's another who, who's part of our fellowship. They couldn't be here tonight, but they never miss on Sunday. They were orphans. In the orphanage where we served. And, and as the testimonies continued to unfold, and I continued to hear the witnesses of those who were so devoted to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who knew what it meant to become the gospel and to move out and to make a difference in the world, I couldn't help but think about that Pentecost experience and those disciples all gathered in that one place centered on prayer and worship, centered on the Holy Spirit making them not just committed Christians, but devoted witnesses. And thinking how that experience of the Holy Spirit's presence and power, the wind and the fire, had transformed that church that met in Ludmilla's house and moved them out into the world. A dangerous world in Russia for United Methodist Christians. And yet they witnessed to the power. And lives were changed. Friends, I know today's word is not one that perhaps has brought a lot of comfort. It wasn't intended to. Today's word was one to call us to recognize we're not called to just be committed. We're called to be devoted. And when we devote ourselves to the Savior who, who, who brought the love of God into the world in such a powerful way, the presence and the power changes us. And when we are changed, we can't help but move out into the world with Christ's love and uplift the actions of mercy and justice. Amen.